Today we are speaking with Roy Samuelson, voice actor extraordinaire, known for being one of the voices of NPR. Raphael in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game has been on John Oliver's Last Week Tonight, uh, Lightning Returns, Grand Theft Auto, and a whole host of other things. Roy, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, RC. Great to great to be talking with you. Yeah, uh, you got this new project that you're doing right now, where you're doing narration for uh, for the blind, essentially on hit TV shows. Yeah, uh, blind and low vision audiences have a, a special way to access um, uh, TV shows and movies, and it's called audio description. Mm-hmm. And how did you come into this? Because I know you took a little bit of time off for, uh, from acting and and decided to come back to it. What was the catalyst to get you here with uh, with this version of voice acting? Uh, it's uh, been about maybe 10 years with uh, uh, a group in Los Angeles that uh, is mainly made up of writers, and they bring in 25 pages of their scripts every week. So there'd be four writers every week for pretty much every Monday night for, uh, uh, for the 10 years that I joined them. They're still going on. And um, it was all produced... Uh, who brought some really quality stuff and they throw a script in our faces and say go and uh, it was really great cold reading practice and even more importantly than the practice it helped me focus on the actual story that they were telling because uh, the feedback was all about the and you know I'd, I'd you know if I'd do my one line and sometimes I'd main character sometimes supporting and Oh, great. That was a lot of fun. And then the feedback was all about the story. And I was like, oh, I get it now. So the spotlight kind of changed from being on the performer to being on the story. And that really helped shape lots. Uh, I know this is kind of a tangent, but to bring it back to audio description, the uh, the focus on audio description is all about the story. And when I'm great at the action that's happening on, on screen, it's like a a radio announcer for a sportscast. Um, what I'm doing is trying to do my best to be a part of the store, not stand out. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if a, if an audience member is listening to me and saying, oh, what a great performance we did, I didn't do my job. It's It's got to be about the story. And if they're saying, oh, wow, that was such an amazing story. I can't believe what happened with these characters. Then I did my job right. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, when I first heard the description of this, I, I was laughing a little bit, not because, you know, not because I want to insult anybody, but it reminded me of something that happened in college where I was at the movie theater and this guy was on his cell phone giving the play-by-play of what was going on in the film. And so that was the first thing that popped into my head was this guy going, yeah, baby, the killer's upstairs, but he doesn't know that the killer is upstairs, so he so he's going slow. I'm like, you know, we all paid our 10, 12 bucks to get in here, man. You know, save the play-by-play for later, but this is an industry that's actually needed. Yeah, and it's funny. You're right. Actually, it's so almost unnerving for sighted audiences because it's like it's almost redundant. And what a great example with that that cell phone conversation. But the funny thing about it is the uh, uh, the sighted audiences can actually enjoy it in a bunch of different ways. Now, obviously, the movie theater isn't the best place <laughs> to be experiencing that because your eyes are on the screen. But you know. For for people who are commuting, especially you know Los Angeles, we've got the 405 and some patches of the 101 where you know you're you're back and forth and just like a podcast uh, or even just like a, an audio book, you can fully immerse yourself in a story that's that's a TV show or a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, people talk about using it for cooking when they're uh, you know trying to keep their eyes on the on the blend recipe, and even after a full day of staring at screens all day, want some entertainment. 
way just like roll your eyes and kind of jump in. So, but you've got a really good point. It's so I'm going to call it redundant because most sighted audience is using their eyes and then they're hearing it. So it's it, it almost can be uh, too much. Mm-hmm. You know, would it be great for cell phone addicts that are you know sitting there and supposedly in the moment watching the movie, but while scrolling through Instagram or Twitter? Uh, you know, that's another thing. I think uh, that's a great example. I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head that you know the the uh, the attention is kind of divided if you're if you're looking at images of one thing, hearing images of another. That that might be uh, interesting to see how that would work, almost like an episode of drama history, but for uh, uh, for the sense bombardment. Right. Uh, how do we avoid sensory overload when we have you know for the sighted crowd that's watching with their sighting him, you know, they're seeing impaired relatives or friends. Uh, it's kind of neat. There, there's a few different ways. There's a, a company called ActiveView that um, has an app that syncs up with some, uh, sorry, some movies. So basically the, the blind or low vision audience member opens the app, the app hears the, the screen. And if it's one of those, those movies, it'll automatically sync the audio description. So it's kind of a, uh, it's a great way for people to enjoy together. Um, as for the audio description on in ways, there's there's ways that um, you can turn it on. You know, in the same way, I, I sometimes watch a, a movie with um, uh, a friend on Netflix who's uh, uh, who has a tough time hearing, so he turns on the closed captioning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first few minutes, it's like, oh, these words are distracting, but it's amazing how quickly I get used to it. Right. With audio description because it's audio, you're literally hearing a voice of a narrator. It's, um, it's, it's a little different than closed captioning. But, um, one thing that I imagine is, you know, a family of of four people, if, uh, if a parent has a a child that's got low vision, you know, this is a way that everybody can enjoy to get. And there's a way to, uh, I I see a future in audio description where it can be tailored to each individual. One person might, have the uh, closed caption on another person might have uh, audio description a person might have the uh, just the original uh, the original uh, video right right I just wanted to touch real quick that you are cutting out a little bit so I just wanted to let you know that ahead of time thanks so much yeah okay. I appreciate that yeah um, yeah my issue with the closed captioning was is that uh, you know I you know, I'll I'll be listening to the show and then I'll start reading the captions and the captions don't always oh. match what's being on the screen and that kind of drives me a little nuts with the closed captioning. I bet. Um, I bet, yeah. With the audio narration, you're not necessarily, you know, giving the dialogue, but you're describing the scenery, the sounds, the rustling of the trees, that sort of thing. Uh, and it's a little more specific. So the only dialogue I will narrate is. Um, uh, subtitles. So, for example, if uh, uh, if a character is speaking in a, I, I do English audio description. So, if a line, if some characters in a language other than English, I I translate those. Uh, but for the most part, the audio description is is essential elements of the story. So, uh, I guess back to the um, uh, analogy uh, when you're listening to uh, the play by play Brady, mm-hmm. the uh, Counselor's probably going to be talking about the the of the court, or they might start off talking about how many focused on what's happening in the. And uh, the goal of audio description is to basically give the the audience 
what's happening on screen and give them access to what the visuals that are essential to the story. So um, there might be some some leaves rustling if there's like a, a dinosaur about to come around the corner and it's breathing on it. Uh, but for the most part, it might give a maybe just like a brush stroke, but it's uh, it's um, uh, it's pretty story centric. And how much how much um, emotion can you put into the description? Is it very monotone, low affect, or is it like you know they're running through the woods and like you're adding to the drama because they can't necessarily see it? That's a great question. I personally have my own opinion on this. That for, for I, I focus being on being in the story. If there's a, a character that's celebrating something, you know, big victory at the end of the movie, uh, if I read it monotone and flat, it probably may take the audience member out. So I, I do turn up the the emotional notches, maybe three or four. It's, if you notice it, if I'm like, yeah, he did it, he, he raises his hand in celebration, that's, that's going to be too much. Mm-hmm. But if I just raises his hand in celebration, that's also going to be too much on the other extreme. It's going to be taking somebody out. So uh, one comparison that I've I've started to use is uh, with Foley, uh, the footsteps. If you hear footsteps and it's too loud, that's going to take. There's that person on the on the steps or whatever. But on the other extreme, if there is no footsteps, you're going to be like, why is that person walking so quietly? So anything to take out of the store. So. Back to audio description, I think it's important to find that emotional balance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another extreme example is if a character is dying on screen, I'm not going to say, she looks friends and, and looks in her face. It's saying that with a smile would be almost, it would, it would, it would be humorous because it would take you out of the story so, mm-hmm. so sharply, I think. It would almost be sadistic if you're smiling through the she's dying on screen uh, portion of the show. <laughs> Yes, uh, and I'd say even in a Quentin Tarantino film, uh, that's, that's probably a little too much. Yeah. Right. Now, how far w- would we go with this? Because you know, I mean, television is so much more prevalent, and streaming sites are are basically taking over the film industry. Do we go all the way back to say the 1950s with the Honeymooners and I Love Lucy, or is it just for recent uh, recent TV series or Netflix shows, Hulu, etc.? I think it's all the above. And I, I, I don't know the strategy of the companies that are making those decisions as far as distribution goes, but uh, there's, there's two examples. With closed captioning, pretty much everything is now closed captioned. And uh, for the most part, hopefully not. Uh, it, the closed captioning is pretty accurate. The, the companies that I work for are pretty particular about making sure that it's not just uh, that there aren't typos or mistakes like you had mentioned earlier. There's a, there's a lot of care that's put into it. And it is, uh, I think it is a skill with closed captions. Audio description in, um, uh, I, I if it's in England, they have a very good, uh, I think it's almost 1%. I think it's a mandate that everything has to have audio description if it's airing BBC. Um, I, don't quote me on that. I need to double check the specifics of it, but they're far ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing that's happening now is that uh, we have an FCC mandate. It's a, a very slow rollout, but it is a rollout. So uh, the network stations have a certain mandate where they have to have X amount of hours every quarter of primetime television that has to be audio described. Mm-hmm. There's um, 
uh, Hulu and uh, Netflix and Amazon are pretty good about their original products having a audio description. And there's there's a bunch of companies that are uh, that are helping them with that as vendors. So um, as far as the historical shows, back to the honeymooners, I'm not sure about that show specifically, but there's been some pretty well known feature films that have been pulled from the archives that do have audio description. Okay. So um, it's uh, it's kind of cool that the, the focus is kind of sh- uh, spread out in a good way. Now, did the notion of this come from director commentary on DVDs and Blu-rays? That's good. I, I don't know the source if that was it, but it is very similar to that, huh. the experience. But uh, there's a um, – on the uh, – it's called the Audio Description Project, and uh, – Google it, you'll find a, a website that has the, the entire history of how it was created. Uh, there's been some really strong advocates who have helped move this forward. And again, the, the goal is to have blind and low vision audience members enjoy the experience that uh, sighted audience members get to have, specifically with the, the intent of, of the story, like what, what story wants to be told. And, you know, with this being such a visual medium it's uh, it's important to bring uh, uh, to include our uh, you know there's I think 26 uh, and blind uh, Americans that um, uh, they can now experience this so it, it's kind of a really neat history audio description project well I'm happy that the technology has finally caught up to society <laughs> yes yes uh, what I would find interesting is if it went all the way back to like uh, Georges uh, Millier or um, Charlie Chaplin films and doing audio description of silent films. Yes, yeah, of course, and that that could be back to back audio description. That would literally turn into just being a an audio book. Yeah, you know, um, how did you come into this? Uh, you know, was this something that you had auditioned for? Was this something that you were on the ground level with? And it's like, oh, this would be phenomenal. You know, I have a cousin or a friend or someone who has. Uh, you know, sight problems. Oh, gotcha. Um, there's a, there's a few sides to it. In addition to that screenplay, uh, workshop that I was uh, talking about, um, not Disney world that was pretty much live audio description. There was a microphone. There were scenes that we would go through in movies. And, uh, each time, uh, I kind of toned the message to make sure that I was telling the story. So, uh, uh, that was kind of the background. As far as getting the job, uh, when I found out about it and learned about it, I was 100% into it. It became this thing that was just, uh, gosh, I have to do it. And I was persistent, hopefully not shovey persistent, but it's like, uh, I've got to do this. This is something that's really, it's, it's in the wheelhouse, and I'm really passionate about it. One of my friends uh, uh, who recently passed away uh, had a um, uh, was sighted, and uh, he lost his vision during the last uh, uh, year or so of his life. And um, being able to know that he was able to experience some of his favorite shows with audio description, I think, was the more personal experience that I had with that. Really upped it a level as far as my passion for this work goes. And, you know, I mean, this is something, it seems like it should have been a no-brainer a long time ago. Why do you think that it took so long to get here? Oh, that's a good question. I think um, I think it's education. There's a lot of people in the industry, both on the, uh, uh, 
the consumer side, the uh, uh, blind and low vision audience members, as well as the people who are making content that, uh, that are just learning about it. And my experience is that when I talk about what I do, what I speak to, whether they're producers direct or uh, even some, uh, some of the net execs, they're kind of open just a little bit more. They become more engaged and the conversation becomes, wait, tell me more about this. What is this again? And it's, there's, a, there's a real interest and a real uh, kind of excitement and an opportunity that they haven't seen before. Now, obviously, there's a lot of companies that are already aware of it. I'm only, I'm only talking about the people who may not be aware of it. So uh, I think as, the, uh, as consumers uh, of audio description, as well as people who provide it, become aware of it, or who could, have, uh, uh, could become aware of it, that it's, uh, it's simply education and knowing about it. It's kind of it's a kind of heartbreaking. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, you'd think that this would be so simple, yet you know, I guess people are waking up to it because we, you know, we've had the blind, we've had blind people and sight, uh, vision impaired people with us all throughout human history. So, you know, I'm glad that we had the closed captioning for the hearing impaired, and now everything's getting there. And I love that people are yeah. intrigued by this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, even a, on a technical side. The difference between closed captioning and audio description is, uh, it, 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 you know, a lot of people do make a comparison, and I've used the, uh, the comparison a few times in this conversation. But on the technical side, um, closed captioning is text. With audio description, it's basically a fully produced audiobook. There's a script that has to be written, and it's based on watching the, the content. It's, uh, it's based on maybe even using the original shooting script, and they write their own script on top of that. And the writers, those writers are called describers, which can kind of be a little confusing because I'm describing uh, as a narrator. But the describers who are the writers really spend a lot of time to make sure that they're telling the story in a way that is the intent of, of the production. And then it gets passed to uh, an editor who goes through it again. And then it goes through quality control. And then it gets sent to me, and I'm basically shoved the script in front of my face, and I start, we start rolling instantly. It's a cold reading. And there's an engineer who's making sure that the levels are correct. There's a director who's making sure that there aren't any things that, that are coming across kind of uh, strange. Um, uh, you know, homonyms, you can write a word and you can read it uh, with your eyes. But uh, if you hear a word, it could be misinterpreted. Um, uh, uh, I, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but uh, it had to do with the word awe, A-W-E, and the way it read out loud just didn't make sense, so they had to change it. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of really committed people that are outside of the narrator that are providing incredible quality work. And uh, again, this is not to diminish the, um, the closed captioning, but the work of audio description is is uh, much more involved. Hmm. It makes sense uh, that it would be more involved because you know where you'd have one person just transcribing the entire series or, or film, that so much would go into it. What are the scripts like when you first get them? Because you said it's a cold read, but do you get retakes? Uh, do you ever get dinged for other enunciation other than the word awe? And, uh, and how it comes across <laughs> you know, on the screen. Sure. And with that example of awe, they rewrote it so that it was, uh, I think it was a look of awe instead of she looked odd. 
that was the uh, that was the example. So it, the the text was she looked a w e d, mm. but when I said she looked odd, then it sounds like o p d. So they right. had to rephrase it. And uh, uh, but yeah, there's because it is a cold reading. You know, there's sometimes where there's back to back action, and uh, with that, there's going to be mistakes, and that's just the nature of the business. So what they do is they they stop and they they roll it back and give a little pre roll, and um, I just pick right up. Uh, and has there been a project that stuck out that you're like, wow, I'm really happy to be on this one. I mean, every project, you know, where you're happy to get as an actor, but like sometimes something just sticks out even more and like, yes, I get to be a part of this big event. Absolutely. Uh, and like you said, the, any opportunity to, to provide a description, great opportunity. And I do have my favorites and I think, um, there's there's a handful that that I could name. The, most recently, there was a uh, there's a new Marvel movie that came out with um, uh, 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 Spider Man, and uh, it was that was thrilling to be a part of because uh, Sony Pictures provided audio description for it. And this is you know this is a this is a film that a lot of people are aware of, and it's great to be able to say, hey, this film has audio description and. Hopefully, people can learn about it and and say, "Oh, okay, this is this is something that I can kind of uh, make the connection to." It's like, "Oh, here's this movie that has audio description, and I know this movie, and it, it kind of helps people understand a little more about about what it is." And again, I, I think this goes back to the education. And how do we get people more educated about this? Uh, I think that. Uh, there's a few calls to action that I like to talk about. It's um, the first is if you know anyone who is uh, who has uh, who's blind or low vision or who's commuting or, uh, you know, just <laughs> you hear them complain about staring at screens all day. But that's a, a great time to ask them. Have you heard about audio description? Uh, if there's anyone in the uh, um, uh, TV or film industry that, that, you know, it's, I've enjoyed just going up and asking. It's like, hey, here's this thing that I do. Are, are you aware of it? And sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I am aware of it, but I'm not really sure how it works. Can you tell me some more? It's uh, these kinds of conversations, I think, build awareness in a way that benefits the blind and low vision community in a way that, um, you know, it, you know, the FCC is making it a mandate. So it's, you know, it's a requirement that it has to be met. But understanding the reasons behind that requirement, I think helps uh, keep the, the message become less of an obligation and more of an opportunity. And for older people that aren't tech savvy, that can't get the app, is there a special box or anything that they could add to their television set and do it at home? Absolutely. There's um, a bunch of different ways to access audio description and uh, the uh, audio description project has a, a pretty lengthy list so there's cable boxes that have settings that can be turned on or off. Uh, and even on over-the-air broadcast, uh, it's called the SAP, Secondary Audio Program. Uh, that can be used for um, uh, uh, different languages outside of English, like Spanish. And it can also turn on the, um, the audio description. And that's straight on the TV. Uh, the apps themselves, uh, it's usually just a tap or two away. And uh, if people have a... Uh, different ways of streaming. It's um, it's once you are aware that it exists, it's it's like oh okay, it, you know, it might take like two or three minutes to figure it out. I think companies are being pretty uh, 
proactive in making these settings not buried in uh, menu list after menu list. But uh, uh, so uh, I, I think the audio description project is the best way to go to for a step-by-step of where to do it. But even uh, someone who is, uh, you know, maybe starting to suffer from lower vision, that they could call up their uh, cable company and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to find out more about audio description. And uh, that's, you know, that could be a, a pretty uh, straightforward phone call. So there's a lot of ways. Because, yeah, I, I mean, I'm interested in this and just sitting down and giving it a shot myself just to just to see whether I would enjoy it in the car or it would be a distraction if I was at home, you know, multitasking or anything <laughs> of that sort. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, this, I think it's I, I look at the times where I'm scrolling through uh, video on uh, on social media and I read the closed captioning and that that kind of stops me and interrupts the interrupts my flow and i'm like oh i'm i'm reading the the closed captioning and like you say you know if you're if you're doing other things around the house or commuting it's uh hopefully it won't be like the experience you had in the movie theater with your cell phone neighbor but uh it's uh it's by by seeing it as uh oh here's something else that i could use it for instead of uh oh this is so annoying i'm already seeing it why do i have to hear it right uh use that to your advantage well, that that doesn't bother me is, you know, hearing it as I'm watching it. It's just the fact that it was opening night, at, you know, the midnight showing. <laughs> and here's this guy giving the play-by-play to his girlfriend that was at work that couldn't make it to the theater. I'm like, why didn't you just wait for her? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I eventually told the guy to shut up, and he called me rude, but I just, I, it's still funny. Yeah, yeah, he called you rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would would something like this be full immersion in a movie theater? Like there'll be set movie theaters that they'll do this in because that's you know people still love the movie theater experience. And if you really go and don't necessarily see what's going on, what's kind of the point in spending the fifteen dollars? Exactly, and audio description is available in in uh, most major movie theaters. It's uh, it's labeled with the logo AD. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the distinction is a lot of headsets are given out to people with uh, uh, with uh, low hearing. So uh, sometimes when someone says, hey, can I have an audio description headset? They might accidentally give uh, amplifier, which basically makes everything louder. Audio description, obviously, is, is not for hearing. It's for uh, the visual elements. Right. So uh, making sure that... And basically, every theater has it, and it's built in, and you ask for audio description headsets. So you can join, like, uh, uh, there's been a few times where uh, movie theaters are, are not aware of it, and uh, they're becoming more aware of it. So simply by asking, that helps build awareness even for the theater, uh, the theater companies themselves. I had absolutely no idea. This is fascinating. It's kind of cool, isn't it? It's totally cool, and I'm I'm glad the inclusion's a part of this because it's so weird that like, like I said earlier, I mean, I would have assumed that this was a no brainer if we're getting audio commentary DVDs that this should have just been on you know, Toy Story three or whatever since four is out uh-huh. in theaters now. But huh, I'm just so surprised that you know, now it's catching on. Yeah, and it's it's been catching. It, this has been going on for uh, for more than a decade. I'm only really starting to advocate it in the last uh, few years. I've uh, so I'm I'm relatively new to the game, and I'm loving learning every day. Uh, right now, there's even uh, advocates for video games where people who 
are blind or low vision have video games that they play that provide special audio cues to them, whether it's uh, uh, whether it's a narrator like me or, or uh, certain elements of the game that, that can help make them experience it in a way that uh, a sighted gamer can play. Wow. So there'll be like audio cues of like hit the X button here, hit the Y button here, you know, or whatever, yeah, like so- the Xbox or anything. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Microsoft, I think, just won a Xbox Live uh, Audio Description Award literally in the last uh, few hours. Uh, today's the uh, the ninth of uh, uh, July, so uh, there's there's a lot of inclusion that's happening on the the gaming front too. So this is not just limited to to movies and uh, TV shows. That would be really humbling. Performances too. Oh wow! I was going to say that would be really humbling to get beat in a video game by a blind guy. It's uh, it's inclusion, so <laughs> yes, you're, it'd be absolutely. like you playing any other person. It's great. Perfect. I mean, that's yeah. the point. I think you nailed it because this yeah. is this is how everyone can experience uh, something in a in a way that's accessible. It's great. Well, it's all right. I've been beaten up by a blind guy when I was in college. I was training in judo, and uh, our our head sensei was Team USA's Olympic coach back in '96, uh, and oh. so he brought the blind team to train with us, and they beat the hell out of us. Yeah. So, you know, we got beat up by blind Olympians. So, you know, there was something, but it's like when, when he'd tell you how he could feel the pressure of the match shift and you were realizing that you were going to attempt something, he could counter it. I was like, wow, that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. Just a video game thing on top of it's going to be even more impressive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great to hear of all these examples of, of disability and how those, those are becoming, uh, a, a different kind of experience now. It's great. Yeah. Um, the term differently abled, I think, yeah, has become the, the norm. And uh, I, I kind of like it, actually, because we all have different abilities. I just wish certain aspects of society would realize that. Um, how do we go about in, besides just education, I mean, just socially, you know, sit there and it's a part of life without having to hammer each other over the head with like a Harley Quinn size mallet. Uh, mallet. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I am a sighted person, mm-hmm. so I have the, my eyes right now and um, my advocacy is coming from that perspective. So I can't speak for blind people or low, but what I am doing is engaging on Twitter and other forms of social media to connect with, blind and low vision audiences. And the more I learn, the more assumptions are challenged. And I found that when I do speak with someone, my intention is to remember that it's not that person's job to educate me. Mm-hmm. If they would like to, and they're open to it, I, I want to make sure that they know that that's their choice, not I'm asking of. Right. Uh, and for some reason, that's an important and and also uh, to your point of uh, the term able that has become a, a new um, uh, term that is ex- that saying abled is a, a word to almost embrace in the sense that hey this is this is a disability and there doesn't need to be a, a stigma to it mm-hmm. I you know I don't have the use of my eyes but I do have the use of of other ways of, of, of dealing with things. Right. And it's been, so that's, and that's, uh, and again, I, I have to be really careful that I'm not speaking on behalf of blind and low vision people. This is just one sighted person who's learning as he's going along. What's the best way to, to communicate this message that, that is, is useful and helpful 
And like you said, with the Harlequin example, isn't beating, uh, you know, the, the non-disabled over the head. It's like there's got to be a way to, to keep the message positive and, uh, and also get accomplished what, uh, what I think everybody wants to be accomplished, which is inclusion in a way that's, uh, that's fair for everybody. Right. Like my thing is, you know, we'll make up a hypothetical person. Let's say Tony is vision impaired. All right. Well, I don't care that Tony is vision impaired. I just care that Tony isn't a jerk. (laughs) Exactly. Is Tony cool? Can he hang with us? All right, cool. Bring Tony along. Perfect. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And that's what a great message. It's like it, it, that's, that's kind of one aspect of it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I yeah I thought we were like that for a while until now everyone has to point out every single difference in our lives, and I think that's kind of driving me crazy more so than anything. So the fact that you're doing this without like trying to make it a point of this is for this group and it's only for this group and you can't enjoy it, well, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, I, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I was gonna say we're just all one big community. And and finding that that community does include some uh, some differences in ways that that we can address it. That's that's kind of effortless. I think about the example of um, the Americans with Disabilities Act that requires all buildings to have uh, wheelchair ramps. Mm-hmm. And I, historically, you know, I, I'm not sure how many decades ago there was a time where uh, a piece of uh, board uh, was put on three or four steps, and that was called a wheelchair ramp. Mm-hmm. But now it's a part of the building and right. there's some beautiful designs where a wheelchair ramp is the focus and then the steps are built around it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. This kind of, you know, it, it, these are not limitations. These are opportunities for incredible creativity. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm just using the, the wheelchair example as, as one thing. I, I think it applies to, uh, you know, as you had said, the, uh, with closed captioning or even audio description, it's not, it's, you know, there's there's other uses for it, and that can only help those who uh, who appreciate it. Right. And and you're right. You know, the, again, that should have been a no brainer, but it was like 35, 40 years ago where it became mandatory. Uh huh. So, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see how people are finally waking up to things that should have just been there from the beginning. Exactly. And I, yeah, that, that's a great that's a great way of putting it. And again, you know, the mandates are there and they're going to be happening. I like to look at the, uh, uh, you know, I think to your point, it's like there's some there's some other real advantages to this. This is this is a huge segment of our population that can be uh, that can have access to things that they might not have appreciated as much. I, I, I can't I can't help but think that that's an opportunity. And in doing this type of work, what have you become more appreciative of? Whether you know socially, uh, culturally or just in general with humanity? That's a great question. And one of my favorite experiences that I've had personally with, with advocating for audio description for TV shows and movies. And like I said earlier, a quick tangent, uh, you know, there's audio description for live actions. Uh, theater uh, has audio description options. Uh, so it's not limited to just TV shows and movies. But with my specific focus on audio description for, for TV shows and movies, what that's done, that little starting to tap on that and explore it and say, I wonder what this is about. I wonder what this is. Oh, here's someone who's, who's used audio description. And I have my own assumptions about what it means for blind or low vision person to experience audio description. Sometimes I happen to be consistent. A lot of times I find out something that's really nuanced 
that I might not have understood had I not really started to explore it. So in in that little tiny, very specific world of, of audio description for TV shows and movies that I'm advocating for, my experience of, uh, of inclusion uh, in the disability uh, uh, community in general, or even greater, it's, it's, it's changed my assumptions in a way that is so much more, I, I enjoy life more overall because of this, this exploring. So one of the things that I like to, to ask other people that, that might uh, not be disabled is to, you know, what's, what's something that you might be curious of, of exploring and, and kind of dive into that very specific thing. And I can't help but think that that's going to open up some other things in general. And, and again, this is just my experience. Right. I, I can't speak for anybody else, but right. it's been so exciting. I've really enjoyed it, RC. What I'm glad is that you're enjoying this without joining the rage culture movement. You know, oh. whereas, yeah. whereas you're a part of like, wow, this is so fascinating. We should have done this before. Let's move forward rather than, you know, wow, this is fascinating. This is great. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. You know, and now let's shame everybody for not being a part of the movement because they had no <laughs> idea it. about it. There's a I, I can't remember the uh, the ex- quote, but there's something about what you're saying that's uh, it's one of my favorite quotes, and it's it has to do with with what you're saying. And I got to say that a lot of people find fear and shame effective, and uh, you know, to their it, it does. I think it makes a blip. I think it makes a it makes a tsunami wave. What I'm looking to do from my approach, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shaming the shamers here, but just what I've found effective for me is while it might not give the immediate results, the work that I'm doing is very slow along with others. And I don't think that I'm alone on this. There are hundreds of people that are advocating for this, that are blind, that are low vision, that are sighted. There's a lot of great advocates here. And each time someone takes just the smallest step, that those little tiny steps are building up the quality of audio description, the excellence of it, and also allowing for more inclusion in the greater sense. And I, I think that that kind of slow boil uh, in a good sense is uh, for me, I found effective. And I, you know, like I said, I, uh, <laughs> I don't want to save the shamers. It's just, I, I, I can't do it that way. It, it, it doesn't work yeah. for me. I mean, there's certain things I understand shame-wise, and there are other things that it's like, all right, let's, you know, be a little more subtle about it. So I, I love your approach, especially in this regard. Um, you know, to slightly turn focus away for, uh, from what you're doing now, uh, you've been one of the voices of NPR. You know, you've done multiple video games and animation, other station IDs and, and commercials. How has what you're doing now affected your work in those other areas? It's uh, what a great question. You know, it's my focus on audio description in the back of my mind. Originally, I thought I'd start to be pigeonholed. And in a sense, I, I am, which is fine. But um, this year alone, I've, I've got a, a campaign for Toyota on a um, on a commercial. There's a, there's been more opportunities for booking. And as far as the voiceover work that I do myself, I've noticed my own shift in seeing the process from a, a almost a different perspective by being involved in audio description and, and learning about how the, the writers write the scripts that I read, learning about how the editors uh, edit those scripts, learning from the engineer what, what helps them, um, exploring what the director needs, learning from the, the vendors. How do you like to be communicated with? This is kind of 
again with the microcosm versus the the big picture, I'm when I send my auditions, I am now sending them in a different way because of these these little lessons that I've learned. And I, I you know there's a there's a ton of really great books on voiceover. Um, there's some great resources online. There's podcasts. There's uh, there's people who are blogging. There's support uh, forums for how to fix audio and even uh, how to do voiceover performances. And all of those contribute to a lot of growth of the quality in the voiceover industry specifically. And I found that by learning those things and also applying them and, and doing the things that they talk about. And I think my own experience with audio description, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that I've been doing, I think 300 different TV shows and movies. And with each of those experiences, I'm really focused on how can I be better? How can, and it's a competition against my, myself. How can I compete against myself that, so that this next project is even better than the last project I did? So the focus isn't on the other people who are doing it. I'm actually supporting them as much as, as me. I, I really value all of our narrators, but it's, uh, it's competing against myself. And I think that that has helped better my own performances and the results are showing in the other voiceover work that I'm doing. And I, 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 again, I, I don't mean this as look how great I am. The message that, I'm, that I really want to make clear is that that focus in that one direction has helped my voiceover career in a way that I never imagined. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad to hear all of this. Uh, how many other narrators are involved with you in, uh, in this field? Well, there's, uh, I, I don't know all of them. Uh, I'd say I've connected with maybe a dozen and uh, they they all have uh, different experiences and backgrounds and uh, commitments and uh, different ways of looking at it. So there really isn't one way that everyone sees this work. I you know there there's a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of steps that are being taken with those narrators that that uh, I think is increasing the quality of the work and that they're committed to that. And that's been that's been really exciting to see. That's fantastic. I mean, this is such a great thing that, again, has been neglected for far too long. Uh, I'm looking forward to paying attention to what's going on around me more so than before because we get sucked into our own devices that we don't even pay attention to the external world anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, what's one thing you'd tell somebody who has perfect sight or corrective sight with, with glasses and contacts? about people with vision impairments that, uh, you know, they should just be mindful of? Um, I, I think it really goes back to uh, treat people as people. They, you know, I, I think not making assumptions. Um, there's been uh, one friend that I've, um, I've connected with. He started a Facebook group called the IO Description Discussion. And uh, just by talking with him on the phone and learning more about his experience, now that that's allowed me to to kind of tailor the questions that I ask in a way that you know I I, I don't want to ask a, a question that's based on my own personal cited assumptions. Mm -hmm. I think uh, when it comes to engaging with with anyone, whether it's with a disability or uh, or otherwise, it's important to to come from a place of of asking questions that aren't. Preemptively set from a, a certain perspective. I'm not good at this. I'm still learning. It's it's been a lot of times where I've I've seen some of the questions that I ask and I see where I'm coming from a certain assumption. 
And, you know, thankfully I've got a, a lot of friends that can call me on it. And it's not, uh, again, in a way that's shaming me. It's like, hey, you know, this is this is how that came across. I think language does does matter. I mean, I've made a career out of using words that other people write for me. And uh, being able to explore how I can use my own words in a way that is supportive and that kind of helps everybody along is I'm a work in progress on that. And I'm I'm loving the adventure of learning that. I'm not sure if I answered your question, though. (laughs) No, you you have, actually. And a follow-up to that would be what's something that either it was a stereotype or just an assumption that you had that was shattered in working in in this form of voiceover? Uh, I think the uh, – I'm going to name two examples. On the voiceover side and also in the uh, blind and low vision audience side. On the voiceover side, it was – uh, I think going back to the focus on the story and remembering that this is all about the story and that I, as a narrator, do my best work when I'm a part of that story. It's not how great of a narration can I do, but how great can I help tell this story? That is, bar none, the most important thing that I'm constantly striving for. As far as the uh, audiences who are blind and low vision, I think it's, I think the best way for me to answer the question is, with uh, I, there's one example that I'm thinking of, and I'm trying to think how to best summarize it in less than 20 seconds. But it's um, I, I found that the uh, making sure that I I fully uh, in the way that I interact with with anyone, whether they're blind, low vision, or sighted is to, to treat them with the, the respect that I'd like to be treated. It's, it's uh, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And that's, that's so easy to forget. <laughs> you know, it's such a simple thing, but the practical application can be a little tricky. And, it's, and I think it's engaging in that way that um, it, that kind of boils it down. That's fantastic. Roy, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. I'm greatly thrilled that we got to cover this topic and I can't wait to find out more about it. Where can we find you on social media if we want to connect with you? I've got uh, Twitter, Roy Samuelson, all one word. On uh, Facebook, uh, Roy Samuelson Biz, as in business, B-I-Z. And uh, on Instagram, I do use alternate text to describe the photos I post. And that's also at Roy Samuelson at Roy Samuelson, all one word. And uh, I'd love to do another shout-out to my friend Kevin's uh, Facebook group, the um, audio description discussion, and it's uh, those three words all together. Okay, perfect. Audio description discussion, Roy Samuelson. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you today. Hopefully we can meet up for coffee sometime soon and talk more about this and just everyday life, I guess. Thanks again for talking to me. I love it. Thanks so much, RC. We'll catch you next time. (laughs) You got it. Take care.